0: Acts chapter 9, starting from verse 19. Saul spent several days with the disciples in Damascus. At once he began to preach in the synagogues that Jesus is the Son of God. All those who heard him were astonished and asked, Isn't he the man who caused havoc in Jerusalem among those who call on his name? And hasn't he come here to take them as prisoners to the chief priests? Yet Saul grew more and more powerful and baffled the Jews living in Damascus by proving that Jesus is the Messiah. After many days had gone by, there was conspiracy among the Jews to kill him. But Saul learned of that plan. Day and night, They kept close watch on the city gates in order to kill him. But his followers took him by night and lowered him in a basket through an opening in the wall. When he came to Jerusalem, he tried to join the other disciples, but they were all afraid of him. Not believing that he really was a disciple. But Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles. He told them how Saul on his journey had seen the Lord and the Lord had spoken to him and how in Damascus he had preached fearlessly in the name of Jesus. So Saul stayed with them and moved about freely in Jerusalem, speaking boldly in the name of the Lord. He talked and debated with the Hellenistic Jews, but they tried to kill him. When the believers learned of this, they took him down to Caesarea and sent him off to Tarsus. Then the church throughout Judea, Galilee, and Samaria enjoyed a time of peace and was strengthened. Living in the fear of the Lord and encouraged by the Holy Spirit, it increased in numbers.
1: Thank you and a good morning to you from me. It's very good to uh, have you here, whether you're sat at home or amongst us in the building. Let's pray together again. Saul preached that Jesus is the Son of God and our Father, through my words and in all of our minds and hearts, please with Jesus be lifted up and may we not be left unchanged. For his name's sake, Amen. there are many things in life that we might label or call standard practice. There really are loads. The list is endless. You know, it's standard practice, isn't it, to, uh, if you're in a restaurant, to pay for your meal after you've eaten it. Unless it's a fast food restaurant, interestingly. Standard practice for pupils to wear school uniform In, in most schools. It's Uh, Visit a surgery, and it's uh, it's standard practice for them to tell you to strip down to your underwear. You know, even if the problem's with your ear. Uh, Standard practice, isn't it, to have a Land of Hope and Glory and Rule Britannia as sing-alongs in the last night of the Proms? Though not this year. Maybe you heard the BBC has decided that because of COVID restrictions. At this year's Last Night of the Proms, they'll play only instrumental versions of those songs, so no singing. And uh, people are upset about that because they are standards. In fact, COVID-19 measures have restricted or stopped lots of things that previously were standard practice and now it is standard practice to sit six foot from another household. What we're thinking about this morning is important What must be standard practice for people to come to know Jesus and be established followers of Jesus? Is it just a matter of of taste or, 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 or church denomination? Are there lots of possibilities or is it more defined than that? For people to come to know and be established in Christ... What must always be in place? What must be standard practice? Now, this is important because, um, because many of you are Christians uh, and others are looking into Christian things. And that's great. And if, if you're looking in, what makes you know that you're engaging with the real McCoy? And if you're a Christian, what do you need to be involved in as standard? We reach the end of the second major section of the book of Acts, which is Luke's second book. In his first book, he shows us that the rule of Jesus has been established. And here in book two, Luke shows us the rule of Jesus extended. More and more people turning to Christ and living with him as king. But how? How does that happen? And in particular, what is our part in this great work? of God. And we can see that our author's key concern is for the building and establishing of the church and we see it from the summary verse, verse 31 at the end of this second major section of Acts. We read then the church throughout Judea, Galilee and Samaria enjoyed a time of peace and was strengthened, living in the fear of the Lord and encouraged by the Holy Spirit. It increased in numbers. So it begins with a then. This healthy, thriving church is the result of what's come before. So then, a a church at peace, strengthened, encouraged by God's Spirit, taking God seriously in their day-to-day lives, increasing in numbers, sounds good. What do we need to be about for that to come about? Throughout these chapters, we see one Unmissable, standard practice. Question, how does authentic church growth happen? Answer, as the church persistently proclaims Christ as Lord. How does authentic church growth happen? It's as the church persistently proclaims Christ as Lord. And you can't avoid it if you wanted to. Acts couldn't be plainer. God couldn't be clearer. What causes his kingdom to spread? What brings genuine church growth? What marks out an authentic gospel work? It's the church persistently proclaiming Christ as Lord. And therefore, this is what you and I must be about if we are Christ's people. In our passage in Acts chapter 9, Saul has just been commissioned by Jesus to carry the name of Jesus to the nations. Saul is Jesus' chosen instrument. That means that Saul's words and his practices are a blueprint for ours. In our passage, Luke records the earliest days of Saul's ministry for us to learn from. And you can't miss the fact that proclamation is at the heart of Saul's ministry. Got a Bible, verse 20. At once Saul began to preach in the synagogues that Jesus is the Son of God. All those who heard him were astonished and asked, isn't he the man who caused havoc in Jerusalem among those who call on this name? And hasn't he come here to take them as prisoners to the chief priests? Yet Saul grew more and more powerful and baffled the Jews living in Damascus by proving that Jesus is the Messiah. And so in the Jewish synagogues in Damascus, they're amazed. This man who was so recently persecuting people who follow Jesus is now proclaiming the kingship of Jesus. And yet, that was his message. Verse 20, he preached that Jesus is the Son of God. This is his message. Verse 22, he proved that Jesus is the Christ, God's King. And, friends, let's get clear on this then. What is the message? that grows God's church. For people to become God's people, what needs to sound out from God's people? We need to make known that Jesus is the divine King, the Lord who alone gives salvation. That's our message. It's not a person-centred message. It's all about Christ. Now, the result for Saul of proclaiming Christ as Lord is that the artist formerly known as Persecutor is himself persecuted. After many days had gone by, there was a conspiracy among the Jews to kill him. But Saul learned of their plan. Day and night, they kept close watch on the city gates in order to kill him, but his followers took him by night and lowered him in a basket through an opening in the wall. Flying economy class. (laughs) Uh, Now then, uh, Barnabas has to defend Saul to Jesus' followers, and you can understand their problem. Verse 26, When he came to Jerusalem, he tried to join the disciples, but they were all afraid of him, not believing that he really was a disciple. And isn't that a picture of reality? It's so clearly eyewitness reportage. They'd seen Saul oversee the death of Stephen, their friend. and and round up more of their friends, and threaten believers with murder. It's no surprise they're scared of him. But what does Barnabas say to convince them that he really is a follower of Jesus? Verse 27, Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles. He told them how Saul on his journey had seen the Lord, and that the Lord had spoken to him. And how in Damascus he had preached fearlessly in the name of Jesus. So Saul stayed with them and moved about freely in Jerusalem, speaking boldly in the name of the Lord. He talked and debated with the Hellenistic Jews, but they tried to kill him. So, what was he up to? He preached fearlessly in the name of Jesus. He spoke boldly in the name of the Lord. He talked and debated with the Hellenistic Jews, implicitly about the Lord Jesus. So the church had peace, it was strengthened, it was encouraged, it feared God, it grew. It was a church we all all want, we all want to be a part of, as this message was proclaimed. This is what produces authentic church growth, proclamation of Jesus as Lord. I can hear some thinking, um... Bishop Harrington, Holy Cross, known for their teaching, their teaching churches. Uh, So the speaker is just bolstering the party line. Or Dave, um, that's me, Uh, uh, that's me. Um, uh, Dave's a a product of a certain background. And uh, he's just located the thing in the text that gives credence to his model of ministry. But is that the case? Or is it actually the model that God gives us? Is it not more that, that Saul is Jesus' instrument and, and God has given us this record of Saul to give us the model of ministry that, God's, that has God's stamp of approval, such that then and now we can know that it's proclaiming Christ that God uses to grow and establish the church. Look, if we're not convinced, and, and some may not be, You know, some things it's it's totally fine to have a church that's not strong on teaching, not strong on proclaiming Christ as Lord, so long as it is strong on on other things. Well, Saul shows us differently. And in fact, so does the whole of of the book of Acts. Just take this section of Acts that we're in. It begins in chapter 6 with the apostles saying, we will give our attention to prayer and the ministry of the word. That's the necessary focus. Th- then Stephen was accused of preaching Jesus Christ as Lord. And the result is the longest sermon in Acts, all about Christ. And Stephen's concluding message, chapter 7, verse 55. But Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, looked up to heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus. Standing at the right hand of God. The declaration that Jesus Christ is Lord. And what then happened? Massive persecution of the church, led by Saul. The result? God's people scattered all over the place. But what did they do? They went about preaching. Chapter 8, verse 5. Philip, down to a city in Samaria, proclaimed the Messiah there. Chapter 8, verse 12. When they believed Philip is but when they believed Philip, as he proclaimed the good news of the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus, they were baptised, both men and women. They came to Christ. Chapter eight, Verse 25, after they'd further proclaimed the word of the Lord and testified about Jesus, Peter and John returned to Jerusalem. Chapter 8, verse 40, are we getting it? Philip, however, appeared at Azotus and travelled about preaching the gospel in all the towns until he reached Caesarea. And we've seen the same with Paul. As soon as Jesus converts Saul, he goes about preaching that Jesus is the Son of God. Speaking boldly in the name of the Lord. Are we then in any doubt as to what caused the authentic building up of the church that Luke describes in the closing verse of our section? We could go further back in Acts. See more. See exactly the same thing. On the day of Pentecost, what did God use to bring many to Christ? It was a sermon about Christ the Lord. Are you still in any doubt? Because I want this, this point seared into our understanding. Then and now, God by his Spirit builds and grows his people as the church proclaims that Jesus Christ is Lord. And this couldn't be more important for us. It's like with insurance or used cars. There are various products on the spiritual marketplace. Many of which call themselves authentic. In fact, I guess they all do. Many of which call themselves Christian, even. And some are good, some are less so. What should you be looking for if you're investigating Jesus? And if you're a follower of Jesus, what should you be about? Answer, proclaiming the gospel of Christ. There are any number of ways in which we could gather a crowd here, even at this time, attracting people to church. We could fill the place by, well, fill it, you know what I mean, by, we could put on high-class musical events. We could lay on discussion groups of various interesting topics. We could hire a, a really funny speaker, and no one can, can, can claim that we're relying on that, right? We could get a great worship band. We've got a, we've got a great worship but what I mean is we could, we could make, you know, kind of professional music the heart of, of what we do here. We could make it celebrating the mass central. We could lay on gizmos, excitements, and people would come. In fact, per- churches do this, and people do come. In our entertainment culture, we can see why lots of churches adopt a kind of entertainment model in order to attract people. And in our selfie culture, we can see why churches change the focus of the message away from Christ and onto, say, self-fulfillment. And if we went those routes, at Bishop Hamilton and at Holy Cross, people would come. But they wouldn't come to Christ Only proclaiming Christ brings people to Christ. It's kind of obvious, isn't it? And in fact, surely we slander Christ when we think we are to draw people by something other than the proclamation of Christ. Now, for the rest of our time, we're going to drill down a bit because there are four details about proclaiming Christ for us to see. And the first is, is that um, uh, here on the screen, all genuine converts of Christ proclaim Christ. But in case your heart is sinking and, you know, it sounds like you need to become a preacher and that's the last thing you want to do, please know that what we'll then see is that we proclaim Christ in a variety of ways. First though, all genuine converts of Christ proclaim Christ. So becoming a Christian, Christian conversion, it is personal. It's about personally meeting and knowing Jesus Christ. Saul could tell you that. He was busy persecuting Jesus' people, and then the risen Jesus appeared to him and called him by name Saul, Saul. I am Jesus. And Saul came to know Jesus personally. And that always changes a person dramatically. And the change most emphasised in our passage is that it causes someone to persistently proclaim Christ. That's what all genuine converts do. Now, uh, it could be that some here are looking for a loophole. And yes, the Apostle Paul was a unique figure, specifically commissioned by God as an apostle. But in verse 27 of our passage, Barnabas presents speaking to others of Christ as evidence that someone is a follower of Christ. The disciples' issue is that they didn't believe that Saul was really a disciple, a follower of Jesus. So, how does Barnabas convince them that Saul is a follower of Jesus? What's the evidence that a person follows Jesus? Barnabas says, verse 27 Saul have met the Lord, and Saul makes known to others that Jesus is the Lord. Now, of course, anyone can claim to have met Christ or to be a Christian. But when that's really the case, when it's genuine, when someone truly knows and follows Jesus, there are natural, essential results, one of which is that you make Christ known. It's not always easy, but it is normal for you to speak of Jesus, including with people who don't yet know Jesus. That's the difference that Christian conversion makes all genuine converts of Christ proclaim Christ? What would you put down as the most significant event in your life? Maybe a change of school, the appointment to a job, acceptance at university, perhaps your marriage, or a divorce, yours or your parents. Maybe it's a failure, an illness, or a death, or maybe a triumph. All those can be turning points. There's no doubt if Saul was to write his biography, it would be his conversion to Christ. Everything changed from that moment on. Verse 20, at once he began to preach in the synagogues that Jesus is the Son of God. And if you're a Christian here or listening at home, although I don't know you, I do know that the most significant event in your life wasn't a job or a move or a marriage. It was coming to know Christ. It changes everything. We cannot be the same after that happens. Because Jesus Christ is great. And one major difference of knowing Christ as Lord is that you persistently make him known so that others would know him too. Charles Spurgeon, the 19th century preacher, was once talking to a man who was notorious for his wild behaviour. And this man said to Spurgeon, you know, who persistently proclaimed Christ, oh, Mr. Spurgeon, I'm one of your converts. To which Spurgeon said, oh, you might be one of mine, but you're not one of God's. If we don't live for Jesus and speak of Jesus, well, we might claim to be a convert, but we're not one of Jesus's. And maybe as you hear this, you know that you don't have that personal relationship with Christ. If that's you, please contact someone who can help grab me, I'd love to help. Well, or whatever the equivalent is at a distance. All genuine converts of Christ proclaim Christ. But this does not mean we all stand behind a pulpit. So next up, we all, we proclaim Christ in various ways. And we see this variety throughout this section of Acts. Just stick with me on this. At the head of the section, Stephen stands before the Jewish establishment and speaks in a sustained monologue. Then Philip is described as preaching or heralding the Gospel as he addressed the crowd in the city of Samaria. But then Philip, sitting on the back seat of the ministerial limousine, explains the Gospel one-to-one to the Ethiopian Chancellor of the Exchequer. But that is also described as preaching. The Gospel, a one-to-one conversation. Same word. Then Philip heads through all the different towns and villages of Samaria, and again he's discussing and dialoguing, but again it's described as preaching the Gospel. Then as the Jerusalem church is driven out from Jerusalem by persecution, the scattered disciples are described as preaching the Gospel. In fact, earlier in, in, in chapter 4 we read that in the power of the Spirit, all of Jesus' followers Quotes spoke the word of God boldly. It was a normal part of their lives. Standard practice. Then here in in Acts 9, Saul preaches, but he also, we, we read, proves and talks and debates with people. That's verse 29. So then, yes, essential for church growth is all of God's people proclaiming Christ as Lord. We all must do it but we do it in different, various ways, according to our gifts and our circumstances. So, in a setting like this, as I speak to a a gathered group in in a sustained monologue, well, you know, it's a a sustained monologue so far, none of you have interrupted me, but also in a discussion group, as people sit around tables and ask and dialogue and discuss the Gospel, a form of proclamation, proclamation, and also one-to-one, as, as, as you and I study the gospel with a friend, or, or speak truth about Jesus, just in conversation, Christ is proclaimed. And so do we see, we all proclaim Christ. We do it in various ways. Then next, we, we proclaim Christ reasonably. Saul wasn't standing on his soapbox, you know, he who shouts loudest wins. This was carefully reasoned explanation. Verse 22 says that uh, Saul uh, baffled the Jews by proving that Jesus is the Messiah. And that word baffled means mixing up in argument. Verse 29, he talked and debated with the Hellenistic Jews. Uh, We've probably all seen and heard a a bloke, and it's always a a bloke for some reason, standing on his soapbox just shouting, repent, Jesus is Lord, and and such, such like. And you know what? I agree with his message. And I admire his courage. I'm just not so sure about his method. It doesn't sound like what Paul was doing as he reasoned, proved, confounded, explained the truth about Christ. The church was built up and it grew through solid, carefully constructed, Logically consistent, evidentially based reasons for believing that Jesus is the Christ, is God, is risen from the dead, that we all should turn to him and be saved. So those of you examining the Christian faith, I'm really glad you're listening. Uh, And we're, we're not trying to con you into believing. We're not wanting you to bin your brain, but engage your brain and not fall for the kind of nonsense that you gather from the naturalists and the materialists that this world just kind of came into being out of nowhere. We're wanting you to look into the evidence of Jesus Christ risen from the dead, to consider the results of that, to be, to be persuaded about it up here and in here. And so, and so friends who are about this, this work, we we proclaim Christ reasonably. And yet, and and, and finally, it's clear here that no matter how reasonable we are, hostility will come. And yet, a church that is about God's mission keeps proclaiming Christ despite the hostility. Saul proclaimed Christ, and so the Jews tried to kill him. He escaped from them in his basket but despite the blade on his neck he didn't stop proclaiming. And most of us know as I've been speaking most of us will have had this in the backs of our minds if not in the front. We'll face opposition. If we think this is going to happen without opposition we haven't understood the gospel because the gospel is not monsoon religion a little accessory the Christian gospel is that Jesus Christ is Lord. And it is a, then a direct confrontation to anybody who's been living their life, not recognizing that Jesus Christ is Lord. And as we speak the gospel then, we will find opposition will come, sure as eggs is eggs. The point then is don't be frightened by it. You can't get down, can't you? Not so long ago, there was a man called uh, Phil Cheddar was, uh, was the prison chaplain, a Christian man, he ran alpha courses for people there in the prison to hear about about the Christian faith. He he, he he left his posts and he was replaced by an imam who banned Christian courses. And you think, Really? How discouraging. But don't despair. despair. Jesus is growing his church. And more personally, surely hostility is the number one thing that stops you and I speaking of Jesus Christ. So remember Jesus is Lord. He is your Lord. He is Lord over opponents. He is growing his church. And as you keep proclaiming Christ despite hostility, people will find salvation, new life in Christ. Rather than worry about who will be offended if you tell the truth about Christ. Consider who will be misled, deceived, and destroyed if you don't. Consider who could be saved if you do. God can even turn persecutors into preachers. Don't fear opponents. So then there are all sorts of ways we can get bums on church seats even at this time. But what must be the standard practice of all God's people for authentic church growth? Pandemic or no pandemic. Whether we're in a receptive culture or a cancel culture, we must proclaim Christ as standard. Please don't make the mistake of being content because you belong to a church where Christ is proclaimed. You, if you're a Christian, are to proclaim Christ. The next generation, too. It doesn't need to be woke, it needs to witness. So then what kinds of things ought you and I to to have as our standard practices? Well, surely it is speaking of Christ as habit. He is great, isn't he? We do love him, don't we? Striving to learn to speak of him more and more effectively as well. Surely it's, it's bringing people to places where they can hear of Christ. This is one of them. Surely it's inviting people to discuss Christ with you, maybe through a course. Maybe you'll make use of these outstanding notes, the Word, one-to-one. So you can sit down and think about, about Jesus in John's Gospel with a friend or a family member. These are, notes are free online. And it is an idiot's guide. They've got the answers in there. It's, it's my kind of test. Surely it's also playing your part in bringing up church youngsters to Chatterbox for Jesus. True converts who love Jesus and love people don't leave it to other people. They may proclaim in Christ as Lord their standard practice. Because, question, how does authentic church growth happen? Answer, as the church persistently proclaims Christ as Lord. We'll need God's help. So let's bow our heads and ask for it. Our Lord Jesus Christ, we praise you that you are Lord, risen and ruling, and that history, including this part of history, is ruled by you, and you're at work extending your kingdom, even through us. Wow. Thank you. And help us please to have utter confidence that that kingdom extends in the power of your spirit as we proclaim your name. Give us confidence. Give us boldness. And we do pray, we do pray for your kingdom to advance significantly here in Hove, For your name's sake. Amen.